0: The giants. I don't know about you, but this has been like a cool thought for me to look at this really kind of unique scripture found in the book of Hebrews. It says this, if you have your Bibles, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. Everybody say run. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And it gives you this kind of picture that life is a race and you are on this journey. And, 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 you know, again, when you're running this race, sometimes you come up to obstacles, you know, how life works, life works in seasons, doesn't it? Have you noticed like, okay, what life was like as a teenager, what life was like in my twenties, what life was like as a married person, or now that I have kids or this part of my career, now that I'm in my forties and fifties, so life has these seasons. And you're running these seasons and sometimes the worst thing in life, I don't know if you feel this way, sometimes the worst thing in life is, is when you feel like you're in a season, you feel a little bit lost. You're like, I think I was on a race, but like, I don't, I'm, I feel a little bit lost. Have you ever been hiking? My wife loves to go hiking. And when you go hiking, these people do these things where they'll like, paint a little thing on the tree so you stay on the path or they put a little thing and they tie a little ribbon on a thing and you try to follow the markers. And every once in a while, I get lost. I don't know about y'all, I get lost and it stinks. And then you hope somebody brilliant comes along that actually knows what they're doing and knows where they're going can like, no, 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 bro, it's over here. You missed the path. Keep going this way on your race. And so this is kind of the idea that in Hebrews 11, it lists all these incredible men and women of faith. That have gone on before us, and what would it be like if they could come and run a lap of our race with us? What if they could help us get back on the path, feel a little bit unlost? What would these great men and women tell us about? Like, what would, what would be the wisdom or the sage advice that they would pass on? And in week one, if you weren't here, Abraham, I think, would tell us this Don't stop believing. Like, life is full of doubts and challenges. Don't stop believing. At at every corner, you can find a reason to quit or to doubt or to... Just don't stop believing. Just keep trusting God. Your life will always be better if you just keep trusting God. And then we looked last week at Moses... Moses' story is different because Moses deals with incredible fear. Does anybody out there, you don't have to give me an amen or a hand wave or anything like that, but anybody like, man, some anxiety, some worry, just some fears, the things that grip me. And Moses had incredible fear. And I think young Moses would be like, run away, not on the race, just run away, because that's what he did in his early years. He ran away. He wasn't running the race. But later in life, as God begins to speak to him and he begins to listen, you find him just taking his fears with him. He never he never fully overcomes fear. He just kind of like just keeps saying, okay, God, I'm afraid, but I'll go. I'm afraid, but I'm going to keep walking with you. And what Moses, old Moses would say, not young Moses, but what old Moses would say is, feel the fear and just do it anyway. And sometimes that's how you have to live life. So if you ever felt like I'm afraid, I'm anxious, I'm worried, that's okay. That's all of us. You feel the fear and do it anyway. And so today... I want to talk to you from the life of David. David is one of those fascinating characters of the Old Testament. Again, to talk about Abraham, Moses, and David, we have just covered three of the biggest uh, and most talked about characters in all of Scripture. David's life is fascinating. It's a journey, but I think the key to his success, and I think the advice that he would give us today, if he could be here, is this. Never lose your worship. Never... Lose your worship. The life of David is filled with this idea of you keep your eyes on God and you let that be reflected in your worship. I'll prove it to you. So the Bible says that out of all the 150 Psalms that are in the book of Psalms, that David wrote like 73 of them. So think about that, like the, the songs that have become the cornerstone for most of our worship for thousands of years now, half of them or over half of them almost came from... One person, he would be out in the field and he would look up at the skies and he would say stuff like this, that the the, the, the earth and the skies are the glory of the Lord and they declare your handiwork. So he'd, he'd write this poetry, he'd write this music, he'd be out taking care of sheep and he'd have the revelation that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And just, he would just write these beautiful, as a matter of fact, can I read one of them to you? This is awesome right here, Psalm 63 says, you God Are my God, earnestly I will seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love, your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods with singing lips. My mouth will Praise you, and I think David would say that. I think David, you got to remember this too. Not only is his worship, because worship is this. If we're talking about worship, this is what I mean: is that worship really is kind of the the glorification, the magnification, and the adoration of a thing. And David would say, when you set your eyes on God and you learn how to glorify and to magnify and to adore God in a worshipful way, it is life changing. It just changes who you are from the inside out. It does so many different things. And as a Christian, I want you to know, you have more reason to worship than David did. Like David never saw a risen Savior. You have. And so I think you have every reason to worship. But let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. Like sometimes worship It's difficult. Worship sometimes is a challenge. Sometimes we feel, I remember being a Christian. Let me back that up. I remember being a kid who my parents drug me to church every week, which was the good thing to do and the right thing to do. I'm glad they did in hindsight, but I never got it. I felt like we were reading like just words out of a book and it was a hymnal and it just didn't make any sense. And then, I had this experience with God that was very personal and very powerful and then I really longed for God but I really didn't know what worship was. And and so I remember going to a church that was different than my really traditional church with the hymnals and the standing and the sitting and the some of the formal stuff and I remember seeing these people and they were weird because they were like they were kind of swaying they were clapping they were lifting their hands and It was an expressive style of worship. And I remember in my heart, I really wanted to do that. But man, it felt weird. Do you remember maybe, have you ever gone through the progressions of your worship phase? This is what it looks like for me. I go into church and I'm like, oh man, okay, okay, I'm going to do this. Because when you grow up real traditional, you just, you just stand there and you hold the book and you sing. But then I'm like, these people are like dancing a little bit and clapping and lifting their hands. So they're like, I'm going to go for this because I love Jesus. Jesus done a work in my, I love Jesus. And so I'm like, I'm just going to clap. That's all you do. That's all you do is clap. But then they get in them slow songs. And ain't nobody clapping no more. So then what do you do? Oh, Jesus, I really love you. I really want to worship. So what you do is you kind of do one of these. That's it. That's all you got. And not two hands, just one hand. Right? And then your confidence builds. Because you feel weird. You feel insecure. You feel like people are watching you. Do you remember this? Oh my God, people are watching me. Nobody's watching you unless you dressed weird. And they're only watching you because you dressed weird. They're not watching you because you worship. So you go from here to this. That like took two weeks. Like two weeks to go from here to here, right? And then all of a sudden, you there's like a moment where you go here one day and you're like, I'm going to go for it. And you look just to make sure no one's watching. And then you just. And when you get free, you're one of them obnoxious people doing. (laughs) Slapping people don't even care. Jesus has set me free. I don't even care about you no more. And. And so, but there, but there are, there are, there are these obstacles to our worship, right? There's a hesitant, like here's some of the obstacles that we deal with at our worship. Some of us have a wrong perception of God. Like if you grew up with bad theology and you were taught that God is angry at you and God is mean and God is mad and God is this and you have these kind of harsh views of God, it can be hard to worship an angry God. I don't know about you. I, I worship the God of infinite love. I worship the God that so loved the world that He sent His Son into the world. Does, can I get an amen out there? Like that's the. And when you get when you get a revelation of the love of God, that God is love, and this is how He demonstrates His love for us—that He sent His Son into the earth to die for us. I'm telling you what—you get a revelation of the love of God, you're like, whoa! You you can go from this to I'm all in. So he, so here's another one. Here's another guilt. I I don't know about you, but like, this would be tough, especially in my early years. I would come to church and I would want to worship, but if I had a bad week. Y'all know what a bad week looks like. It, what a bad week looked like to me was, was when I was sinful. You know, I was lustful this week. I was bad this week. I got angry. I kicked the dog this week. I did whatever. Like anytime you have some some fresh sin up in your life, you feel like man, I can't I can't worship God. I'm not good enough to worship God. I feel almost like icky or something. I, let me just help you real quick here. You're not worthy to worship God. Ever. And neither am I on my best week. I don't worship God because I'm worthy. I worship God because, because he's worthy. And he's never been unworthy. He's never been not worthy. He's, he's always been great. It, it'd be, it, I mean, the ridiculousness is this, is that if you were to go and find Jimmy Garoppolo today, and you were like, man, I want to go and encourage him and tell him how great he is, but I'm not a good quarterback. I can't tell him that. You don't got to be anything to go tell somebody else that they're great. All you have to do is just recognize their greatness. And what I'm telling you is, is I don't care what you did this week. You can open up your heart and worship God, not because of your worthiness, just simply because he is worthy. Can I get an amen? Here's number three. Here's another reason. We're just embarrassed. It's just kind of weird. It can be just kind of awkward. There's an embarrassment to it. Here's another thought though. The fourth one is this, is I would say sometimes we're just, some of us are just emotionally lazy. It's not that we don't love God in our heart. We just don't want to express it. It's not that we don't have faith. We just don't want to express it. And I want to challenge you today to say like, hey, when you're in a relationship where you love somebody, you express it. All the wives out there, can I get an amen? Yeah, because sometimes, because have you ever noticed this too? This is why women typically are better worshipers than men are sometimes on the whole. It's because women are more emotionally in tune with what's going on around them and men are more emotionally reserved. We get so cerebral, but the reality is, is that if you love somebody, you express it. If you love somebody, you say something. As a matter of fact, the same kind of concept When we talk about marriage in the book of Genesis, and it says that a man would cleave to his wife, do you know that that same language of cleaving is also used to the way you relate and connect to God? So yeah, there's an emotional engagement that you make. Because I want to tell you out there, I don't want you to ever become one of those guys in counseling session, and your wife is like, well, I just want him to tell me that he loves me. And you be the guy to be like, look, I told you on our wedding day, I loved you and nothing's changed. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Like, don't be that dude. Don't be the person that's emotionally closed off and emotionally walled off. Because what I'm telling you is, is that David's advice would be don't lose your worship. Don't forget about your worship. As a matter of fact, I'm one of my, one of my buddies. I'm so proud of him because he came out of a very, very like non-religious background. And so when he came to church, this is back when I was in my early twenties, when he came to church, he knew nothing. And sometimes that's a good thing because sometimes I got to unwork some of your religious ideas. With my buddy Sean, he was just kind of coming in, and he was so grateful and so thankful of the work God had done in his life. And we used to have in Michigan. This is the church in Michigan I used to work at. He, we had some pretty expressive worship going on, and um, they would get into these slow, kind of like, yeah, I'm talking. They would just linger. Maybe too long. But they would just get into these slow songs. And man, I'm telling you, God had done such a work in his life that he was so engaged in his worship. I guarantee you this. He had an experience with the love of God. He had had his sin washed away. He was no longer embarrassed and he was emotionally free to worship God. And Here's how I know it. We got one of them long songs. And Sean closes his eyes. He's doing one of them sway things. Some of y'all people, anybody's got a little sway to you? Not a lot of swayers up in this place. Feel free though. And he did one of these sway things. And the song went on so long that what had happened was is he didn't recognize he had a, he had about a five degree tilt to his sway. And so, like, he just kept on swam. I mean, like, this song was one of them lingering songs, just was worshiping four and five minutes, six minutes long. And then all of a sudden, like, you get to the end of the song, and everybody goes, Come on, let's just give Lord a hand, clap of praise, and we all just and Sean opens his eyes, and he's like on the front row, staring at everybody behind him. (laughs) He's not embarrassed. He don't care. Watch this. This is a cool scripture. I'll show you how this works for David. Second Samuel chapter six, it says this. It says, now King David was told that the Lord had blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that he had because of the ark of God. Now the ark of God to them represented the presence and power of God. So the ark was hanging out at somebody's house. And just because the presence of God was there, there was an extra blessing on the house. But David wanted to bring the ark into the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. So he goes, he says this. So David went up to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with what? With rejoicing. This is a worshipful event. We're going to get excited up in here. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. And wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord, they were shouting and had sounds of trumpets. So here's what's funny is the Bible goes on to keep telling you the story. And it says that his wife was kind of up in the balcony looking down and was like... (sighs) He is embarrassing. And she has a little word with him. When he gets upstairs. Like you were embarrassing me down there. Dancing in front of the Lord. And he says girl. I will get even more undignified up in this place. Because of how great God is. And so I'm telling you. He had no shame in his game. That man wanted to worship the Lord. And I think. speculate a little bit here. I think when you look at David's life is that David had realized how powerful worship could be in his life. But, everybody say but. But when you start to look at the latter years of his life, it doesn't mention the worship as much. It seemed like when he was a young shepherd boy he was talking about. The Lord is my shepherd. It seemed like when he was out taking care of the father's flock, looking at the skies, that that's when he said that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies, his handiwork. It was when he was a young man that he played for King Saul and drove away the depression and the tormenting spirits. But when he got older in life, I think he began to miss the mark. David's life is riddled with failures. And I think he would point back to that the reason why I kept falling into mess and falling into problems, and missing it, I think I lost my worship. And I think David, old David, would come back and run that race with you and tell you this, that the most powerful parts of his life are when he was worshiping God, and the hardest parts of his life are when he lost his worship. And I think David's advice to you and I today would be this, don't lose your worship. Don't lose your worship. If you've ever experienced the love of God and you sense that rush about you, you have this natural inclination to worship, don't lose that. Even when you feel a little bit guilted, I don't care, power through, keep worshiping. No matter what goes on in your life, keep worshiping on worshiping don't lose your worship here's why here's a few reasons why I want you to is this is all throughout the scripture all throughout my personal experience I can just tell you that you need to maintain your worship because your worship does some powerful things number one is this number one my worship is my intimacy with God Again, we were talking about that earlier about how like the way that we cleave in marriage that that same concept. There's an emotional connection to the way that you worship god. There's something unique about it Look at what the bible says here. The bible talks about this in um in psalms chapter 73 It says but as for me, it is good to be what it is good to be near god Like a proximity matters and I want you to recognize that because god is in all places at all times that you can't actually escape god but we can easily recognize that there is a difference between God's just kind of everywhere presence versus his personal presence. And his personal presence is something that you access through worship. This is why you know when you're in a funky place and you look across the room or you see the aisle next to you that there's a person in a worshipful place. You can recognize that you are in the same room, but you are experiencing something radically different. Somebody is in just the everywhere presence of God. Somebody has tapped into the personal presence of God. I'm just telling you that there's something there when you open yourself up. Again, if there is somebody in your life that you love, but you can't tell them that you love them, there might be something broken in me. As a matter of fact, I I heard this uh, passed down from my mom and my grandma, that my grandfather, before World War II was a poet and used to write love letters to grandma. Her name was Corrine because she was born a long time ago. <laughs> my other grandmother was Mildred. Okay, these ain't no spring chickens. Corrine and, and my grandfather didn't even have a name. I don't know how that works. He just had initials, J-S. Didn't stand for a thing and everybody called him Doc. So when I grew up, I had Doc and Corrine. And man, and then like, so I heard these stories because grandpa was grumpy. Grandpa was quiet. Grandpa was somber. Grandpa did not talk. And when I got older, how many know when you get older, you like, because when you're a kid, you just don't care. I don't care if grandpa talks. Does grandpa give me candy? That's all I care about. But when you get older, you start seeing how the world works. You start asking questions like, what's up with, so how did grandma and grandpa meet? Or what's the deal with, whatever. And then, you know, they started to tell me the stories. Oh, well, when grandpa was young, He used to, because grandma kept them all, a stack of love letters. But then he went to the war and he fought in World War II and he probably experienced some horrendous, terrible things. And He probably came back with something that they didn't even know what to call PTSD. And he came back and he was a bit shell shocked. He came back and he was a bit of a fraction of who he used to be. And from that point forward, he did not write love letters anymore. He did not talk anymore, as a matter of fact, the story is is that he never told my dad that he loved him because sometimes you have to recognize like I need the intimacy with God to somehow break through what's going on in me. Like I need the intimacy. I need the presence of God to heal me so that I can actually engage in intimacy with people and with my heavenly father. I'm just telling you, worship is when you go beyond God as a business acquaintance and you step into that next level where you recognize, Oh, maybe God is my, my friend. Right. And then you go step further. You're like, No, what if God is my father? What if there's a, what if there's an increasing level of intimacy the closer and closer I get to God? That's why he said it is good to be near. Let's keep going with this. Number two is this, worship changes my perspective. I don't know about you, this is my story. Anytime I start getting anxious or worrying about the future or my brain starts messing with me, one of the first things that I'll do is begin to worship because I have to distract my brain. Can I get an amen? Does anybody have brain that runs too fast sometimes or runs in bad directions or you just, it's like, it's like there's three hamsters and they're all just going crazy up in there. And what I'll do is, and I'll do this with scripture too, but I'll just start worshiping God because it changes my perspective. I cannot sing about the greatness of my God while also worrying about the greatness of my circumstances. So it just forces me to put my attention on God, to build my faith, to quiet my fears, to quiet my anxiety, to remind me of who I am, of who he is, that God is in control. And so it just helps change my perspective. Listen to this. Psalms 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Sometimes you just got to lift your eyes. Sometimes it's just worship. Sometimes I'm going to sing until my fears are quieted. Listen to me. If it can work for King Saul, where David came in and worshiped and it quieted that depressing spirit. I'm telling you, worship has the power to change things. Here's a radical notion. I'm going to sidestep real quick here. Number three is this. Worship influences others to worship God. Parents, I'm saying this to you. Husbands and wife, I'm saying this to you. It is a powerful thing to let your kids see you worship. It is a powerful thing because see, the number one level of leadership is modeling. And if you want your kids to worship, but you're still holding on to your embarrassed, your guilt, your thing, you're going to keep your kids sometimes from being free to worship. And so you got to let that thing fly. Dads, we were talking about this. When we were talking about being emotional and being, recognizing that worship is intimacy. There's some fascinating studies that have been done and they show you that. Whenever it is that a kid goes to church for the very first time, that the percentage and odds of his family joining is it's pretty low. When a mom comes and mom leads the way, that there's a, a bigger percentage, but it's still relatively small, that the kids will come and the husband will come and the whole family will come. But here's the stat. That when the father is first, there is a 93% probability that the house will follow. The first level of leadership is modeling. And what you want to do is model. No, no, no. It's Sunday and we go to the house of God. And we want to be in the presence of God. And we want to sing the praises of God. And we want to hear the word of God. And I'm going to lead the way. Because your worship will actually encourage and inspire others to worship as well. Number four is this. Number Number four is, is worship. My worship is a weapon against our spiritual enemy. And there's this funny story. Um, there, there's a few of them throughout Scripture where they do this. Uh, again, Paul and Silas are in jail. They start worshiping. And the Holy Spirit shows up, and the miraculous happens, and, and breakthrough happens. And the, literally, the chains are flung open. The doors of the jail are flung open. I told you about King Saul and the depressing spirit being driven away. But there's a weird story. It's tucked away in a Scripture you'd never read before. It's guy's named King Jehoshaphat. If you're looking for a name to not name your kid... Mark that one off. But he's the king, and there's an army surrounding the city and about to invade, and it's getting all bad, and they got to go out and meet the enemy on the battlefield, and he does something so goofy. It is the worst military strategy I've ever heard. It's worse than the one where Gideon's like, hey, we'll just get a bunch of lamps and yell. (laughs) That's bad. This one's worse. He goes, okay, get the army, but... uh, Here's what we're going to do. Take all the worship leaders and the worship leaders will lead the way they will lead the army. Now that's bad because, listen, I love musicians and I wish I was one. But sometimes, on the whole, not our team, our team is exceptional. We'll talk about other places. There's a lot of scarves involved. There's a lot of white belts. There's a lot of skinny jeans going on. There's a lot going on with your worshipers. Can I get a just, I ain't trying to hate. Just making observations. That's not the Marine Corps. Can can I just, let's just put it like that. The worship team is normally not Navy SEALs. So if you're going to like, that's almost like you're angry. If a pastor was angry at his worship team, he'd be like, hey, put the worship team at the front of the army. No, 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 no. He recognized that there was something powerful. And it has this dynamic story about how the battle was won and God intervened. But the strategy was, no, we lead the way with worship. I'm just telling you that worship is the way that you have a weapon against your spiritual enemy. Remember earlier we were talking about how like King Saul had a depressing spirit. Sometimes the thoughts that you have, again, you have a spiritual enemy that operates by the power of suggestion and thought. Let me say that again. Your spiritual enemy operates by the power of suggestion and spiritual thought. Like, so things invade your brain. You start dwelling on things and thinking on things. Again, worship is the weapon that you have because when you're praising God and glorifying and magnifying and adoring God, I'm telling you, God gets bigger than your situation and there's some supernatural power that steps in. Can I get an amen if you know what I'm talking about? I'm just telling you it's there. Number five is this. It prepares me for eternity. Now, some of us have what I call Tom and Jerry theology. How many of y'all grew up watching some Tom and Jerry? That's way better than that stuff them kids got today. Even the Tom and Jerry today is not as good as the Tom and Jerry back then. Because they were more violent back then. That's probably why I thought it was funnier. But some of us have that Tom and Jerry. Remember, Remember like Tom would kill Jerry or Jerry would kill Tom And then their little heavenly body would go up and they'd get wings. they look like a fat little chubby baby sitting on a cloud with a harp. And some of us think, man, that's what heaven's like. It's like Tom and Jerry theology. One day I'm going to be a fat little baby with a harp. No, you ain't. But the Bible does say some profound things about the heaven that we will one day experience with the presence of God. Listen to this in the book of Revelation. In Revelation, he's describing heaven. He goes, I heard a voice from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. As the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. It was this picture. It was a, It was a wedding supper. It was the supper of the lamb. It was the joining of humanity and the divinity. And so he goes no in heaven there is a worshipful experience. There is a moment where you are so in awe of God. That you can't help yourself. And so I just want you to be a little bit prepared. Because one day. You have these moments right now. Where you experience God on these itsy bitsy levels. These little these little doses. These tiny little moments. These tiny little windows. But one day. You will stand face to face with your savior. And you will be so in awe. That you can't help yourself. Lastly is this. It is not, sometimes you just have to recognize. That my worship is my offering. My worship is my offering there's a scripture in hebrews 13 that says therefore uh or through jesus therefore let us continually offer to god the what the sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly professes his name see sometimes worship is your offering like it's the greatest thing that you can give sometimes there's this cool story. There was a song. When I was a brand new believer, I loved Jesus and sometimes I would lay in bed and I'd sing a little song as I went to sleep. I know that sounds weird, but I just I didn't have no shame in my game. I would be undignified if necessary. And I would sing this little song. It was, does anybody know this little song? I love you, Lord. And I don't record this right now. And I lift my voice and I used to just sing that in my bed and I was a joyful noisemaker, that's clear Can, you don't have to amen me right there because I'd be mean but I was a joyful noise person, I just sing and I read about the, the, the origin of that song that that song was written back in 1974 by a girl named Lori Klein and she tells her story because many times these stories have just incredible context and history to them And she goes, no, I was with my husband. We were up in Oregon. He was going to college and we were broke. We were dead broke. We didn't have enough money. We weren't even close to a church and we didn't have gas money to get to a church. And she goes, I was depressed. As a matter of fact, let me read her words to you. She goes, I felt the poverty of my own life keenly at that point, both emotionally and physically. And that morning I was so empty, she says, that she was talking about like just spending time with God. And she goes, I knew I did not have anything to offer him. And so I asked if he would like to hear me sing. And that if he would just give me something, that he would be in the mood to hear. And she began to write that song. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul rejoice. She was like, that is, that is amazing. She jumped up to get a pen and she goes, I began to write it down. And as soon as I wrote the first one down, the second verse came to me. Take joy, my king, in what you hear. And may it be a sweet, sweet sound. In your ear. And that's a song again that says, God, I love you. I'm so grateful for what you've done in my life. And I'm telling you, when you begin to worship God, it is a weapon. It is your worship. It is your offering. It is your intimacy. It's how you connect. It's how you move into the personal presence of God. It's how you change who you are from the inside out. It's how you redirect your thoughts and even your feelings. And I'm telling you, there's a power to worship, and I want you as a church to think about that as, because here's what I want you to do. Some of you um, come to church, and there's a worshipful moment here on Sunday mornings. I need you to show up on time and be a part of that entire experience, but here's what I need you to go beyond that. I need you to get in your car and become a jukebox hero. Like, there's nothing better than pulling up to a stoplight And seeing somebody next to you go all out. Can I get a what, what? That's just awesome. But what I want other people to do is roll up on you new beginnings and I want them to see you going all out, like in your car. If you're a shower singer, I need you to, I need you just to recognize that there is a moment that you can carve out in your quiet time, in your car time, in your commute time. Yes, on a Sunday morning and you let it fly and you say, you know what? I'm going to sing. I'm going to worship. I'm going to dance. I'm going to experience the personal presence of God and have some breakthrough. And I'm telling you, worship is one of the greatest things that God has ever given you. Because God did not ask you to worship because he was having an insecure moment. God did not want you to worship so that he he could be reminded of how great he was because he was questioning himself. God gave you the opportunity to worship so you could step into the personal presence of God. And experience the God of infinite love. And have him become your Refuge, become your savior, become your strong tower. I'm telling you this. Let me just finish with this. I got to close. If you're taking medicine, it's 1114. Now watch this. There is something in the New Testament where the New Testament authors look back at King David and they get a powerful epiphany. Are you ready? In Acts 15, when all these new Gentile believers are coming into the church, they start a debate over whether the Gentiles have to do some of the Jewish things. Do they got to keep the Sabbath like we do? Do they got to do the festivals like we do? Do they got to get circumcised like we do? Like what What do they got to do? And they figured out nothing really. They just believe in Jesus. That's, that's pretty much it. And, and they the reason why they simplify everything is, is that they recognize that God is doing a new thing, but they point back to King David. Are you ready? This is brilliant. Watch this. Acts chapter 15. Remember, they're bringing all these new Gentiles in and they quote this scripture. After this, I will return and I will rebuild what? The tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins. I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. All right, now dial in. I'm gonna give you one more nugget and then we're gonna pray. In David's day, remember they had the ark? Remember when they brought the ark back into the city? He's doing a jig and a dance and a sing and a shout and a trumpet. And his wife's embarrassed and he don't even care. Before that, they had what was called the tabernacle of Moses. And after this, they have the temple of Solomon. And they're basically built the same way. One's a building, one's a tent. But they had a big old tent around the outside. And then only if you were Jewish could you come in there. And then you had to make a bunch of sacrifices and do a bunch of stuff and whatever. And then they had another tent called the inner court. And you could only go in there if you were a priest. And inside of there you had like a menorah and a table and a thing and you had to do the thing and the thing and the thing. And there was all this stuff going on. And then everybody say, and then, and then they had the third level, which was called the holy of holies. And you not only had to be Jewish, but you had to be a Levite. And then you, had, you couldn't just be a priest. You had to be the high priest. And you could only go in one day. And they were so afraid of this experience that they tied a rope around his waist just in case he died. How crazy is that? But, everybody say, but. In the days of King David, he had a different place. So this is. After Moses, but before the temple of Solomon. And the difference was this. In the tabernacle of David, everyone had access. Anybody could come. There was no menorah, table of showbread. There weren't all the tents and all this stuff. Here's the advice and the final words of encouragement that I think David would give us. There are no barriers to the presence of God. Like before that, you had to jump through some hoops and make some sacrifices and be this and have the right family and do all these things. And he goes, no, nope. everybody has excess. Everybody gets in. Everybody can experience the presence of God. So when these early Christian leaders were thinking about the new move and the new work that God has done. And they're trying to figure out what did we do these Gentiles. They're like, no, 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 no. This is what they were talking about. This is what Amos was talking about when he said, no, no. There will become a time where we bring back the tabernacle of David. And it will be just like it was back then. Where everyone has access to God. Now the New Testament does something crazy. The apostles double down on this idea. And they say not only do we worship in a time like the tent and the tabernacle of David, where everyone has access to come into God's presence, they say something radical like this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God because you're not even your own? The New Testament authors double down on this, and they say not only are you living in a time and a season and a period in which you have full access to the presence of God that anybody can go in, I want you to know that the second encouragement of David would be like this. It would be you are the tabernacle of God. That the very presence of God dwells within you. You always have access to his presence. You always have access to his power. You always have the opportunity to connect with your creator and worship. Because not only do you have full access. That presence is actually living in you. Will you bow your heads with me today? God, we just need to be grateful today. God, we just need to be thankful today. God, we we don't have to jump through hoops and barriers and go kill some animals and go do all. No, no, we have full access because not only has the curtain been torn. It says that when Jesus died, that the veil was torn from top to bottom and that now everybody gets in. Everybody has access to get in to the presence of God. God, let us take that step closer to you. Let us draw near to you, God. Let us recognize that as we put our faith in you, God, your presence actually fills us up. We actually become the tabernacle or the carriers of God's presence. God, let us live a life that is worship. Let us not even reduce worship down to a song. God, let us recognize that it is a life of worship that we live. And it is in those unique moments that we go into the personal presence of God, where we sing your praises, God, where we magnify, we glorify, and we adore you. Because God, you are worthy. Help us, Lord, to go out of this place and to never forget our worship. Lord, that is our prayer today. In Jesus' name, if you believe me, give me your best amen today. As a matter of fact, can we just give the Lord a big hand clap of praise right now? I'm telling you, you don't have to be worthy. He's worthy enough. Do me a favor and stand up on your feet. Man, it is good to be at church with you today. That was good. Sometimes I don't need an amen. Sometimes, Daniel, I'm like, that was just good. We have full access. The veil has been torn. My Lord, that is good. That's what you remind yourself sometimes, you encourage yourself sometimes, you tap into that place of worship where you say, no, no, I want the personal presence of God in my life. I need his strength, I need his help, I need his um, His refuge, I need that, I need God's presence in my life. And I'm telling you, the way that you go beyond the veil, the way that you go through those doors, the, way, the Bible actually says that we enter into his courts with thanksgiving and we enter into his gates with what? With Praise. There's just something powerful to worship. And so here's what I want us to do. Every Sunday morning, we get an opportunity as a family to do that together. Let's do that every Sunday morning. But also in the shower, in the car, in my quiet time. Whenever there's a moment, let us become worshipers of our God. Amen. I'm so glad that you were here today. As always, if you need prayer for anything, please come see me. I'll be down front here. Um, if you're a first-timer and I didn't get to greet you, I'd love to say hi to you. Please take our three-week challenge, fill out the card, get in, get connected. I promise it's a good place. And I pray that all of you go with this blessing over your life. The Bible says the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance and give you peace. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. One more time. Give the Lord a big hand clap today. I love you guys so much. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.